Alright guys, thanks for listening. Uh, before we get into the the podcast this week, which we're, we're talking about Mar Murray uh, after the accident, reach out to us and let us know if there's cases that you'd like to hear. Uh, find us on Instagram at Duh Weekly Podcast, or you can find us on Twitter at Duh Weekly Podcast. You can send me an email at Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, that's D-U-H-W-E-E-K-L-Y-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Jeremy, J-E-R-E-M-Y-P-O-P-E-L-L. Um, if you've got a story that you'd like to tell, I, I'd be more than happy to have you come on and, and co-host one. If that would be something you'd be interested in, it would be would not be a problem. I would actually love to do that. Um, you can go back and forth on a case. Um, I'd love to have a co-host kind of really somebody just some something to go back and forth with instead of me trying to tell a story that uh, probably sometimes you don't want to hear or you don't like the way I tell it but anyway uh, I think next week we may continue and talk about Mara Murray but talk about the Bruce McKay uh, but anyway reach out to us this is the second part of a two-part that I've done so far, maybe three, it may not, but I, we may we may do a little bit on that. But you know, reach out to us, tell us what you'd like to hear. Um, you know, hopefully, as we get you know a little bit more knowledgeable about this, we can get better at it, and they can sound better, and we can do a better job of presentation. Just a bunch of different things. Um, but yeah, I know a lot of people don't like the to you know some people. We'll start their podcast, and they'll you know talk a few minutes and, and kind of carry on funny back and forth. I, I'd like to do some of that, um, but I think about it sometimes, and I just don't. I kind of just get right into it, but uh, reach out to us. Tell us about some stories. I'm hoping to have um, Michelle Wood on one day in the future. Uh she is from Dead Again and from other shows, and she is one of my favorite, man. Michelle Wood is amazing and is awesome. Um, I loved I loved her ever since she, she I'd first seen her on the show Dead Again. Uh, but she's on a bunch of different uh, d- bunch of different programs uh, all all over ID and Oxygen. Um, uh, she is a Chicago detective, and she is actually a fitness professional. So, amazing, 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 strong woman. Hopefully, we'll have her on to talk about a case here in the future. I don't know exactly when, but hopefully, you know, she gets a little bit of free time. She'll she'll reach out to us. But we're a huge fan of hers. Um, um, you know, all, we love uh, just the tipsters. Uh, Melissa's always been a a big uh, big help to us here, and I, I love uh, I love what her. And what Mark does over there on Just the Tipsters podcast. Listen to check that one out. Of course, you got the True Crime Garage. Love those guys. Um, missing Mara Murray or Missing, uh, Lance and Tim, those guys. Uh, I love the Empty Frames podcast, which they've got a, a mega network over there at Crawl Space Media. They are doing it. I'm telling you, super, super, super podcast. They're amazing podcast. Um of course, Sarah Turney's always been, uh, I love what, what work she done for, for the sake of her sister, and I hope that, you know, she's able to do and help others, you know. Uh, she's an amazing person. 
a lot of amazing people out there that, that are podcasting. There's a lot of podcasts to listen to, and it's really a tough market to get into. But we love it, and we want to continue to tell these stories, and we're going to. So get over it. But uh, just wanted to say thanks again. Wanted to kind of break it up a little bit and talk a little bit about some, you know, some different podcasts we like and maybe some things that are going on. Um, but I love you guys and I appreciate the shit out of it. Now, I'll talk about something else. Here's the podcast. Guys, welcome to another episode of the Weekly True Crime Podcast. Uh, we're going to uh, go through the basic routine of thanking you for subscribing. And uh, please tell a friend to subscribe and leave us a review or a rating. Uh, let us know you're listening. Let us know you're out there. We appreciate it. Hopefully, as time goes on, we gain more listeners, we have more followers, and we can do bigger and better projects. Hopefully, like right now, I'm fighting with my microphone, so give me just one second. But we're going to finish up on the second part of Mar Murray's podcast and talk about the time after the accident and cover a few things there. So bear with me here just one second. So last week, well, let's look at this. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to tell someone to subscribe. Help us grow this. Help us get bigger. We want to try to continue to do our podcast every week. Uh, we could use your support. If you could go to the link in the show notes for Anchor, you can support us that way. Or you can go directly to us at paypal.me backslash Podcast, And you can help donate there. And we would truly appreciate it. Um... This is a case, one of those cases that's to me, it's it's what got me into true crime in the beginning was this Mar Murray case, and it's um, there's a lot of people that know a lot about it, and um, I know a little bit and have researched some of it, but um, you know, like missing Mar Murray which is now Missing, which is, they still have the Missing Mar Murray. That was, and still is one of my favorite podcasts. I, I do like those guys. They do a hell of a job. Uh, but we're trying, and we want to do better, and we want to be better. But right now, you know, we're just in the closet using an iPhone 6. And I got a beautiful dog sitting here next to me, and it's fun because I, I enjoy doing this. I try to want, I try to give as much respect as I can to everybody, especially the victims and the families of the victims, and uh, we just want to do that. I mean, it's important to me. So 
So last week we talked about leading up to the day of the disappearance, leading up to February the 9th, 2004. You know, we talked about what had been going on with Mara at West Point. And I don't think enough emphasis is put on that because that's a big deal. You know, going to West Point in itself is a big deal, but then getting removed from West Point is the start of the downward downward spiral, it seemed like, and of her just acting out of character. And then to make matters worse, she gets to UMass and she's, you know, stealing credit card numbers and ordering food and pizza and she gets in trouble for that. And not only that, but then she is out with a friend and wrecks her father's car and basically totals it. And then the very next day, she goes missing. So just a quick recap, we know that on 10, around 10 o'clock, uh, we know she talks to her sister. Everything is, you know, normal conversation. She's at her UMass uh, security job, student security, nothing wrong. We know at 1220, um, we know that the UMass student is found on the hit and run. Now, you know, that phone call that she receives after that at 1 a.m., the one, the phone call she receives that puts her into a total just out of her mind, freaking out, crazy, has to be taken to her dorm room. I wonder what that was about. Now, you know, a lot of people say she didn't have time to be part of that hit and run, and maybe that's fine. But, you know, maybe she had let someone borrow her car, and maybe that phone call was someone saying, hey, I just hit somebody in your car. Um, it's messed up. What are you going to do? So her next phone calls to her dad, or whenever it is, and they go out shopping for the car. To look for one but in the meantime before she can actually get a car she totals her dad's car and they're not able to make anything happen or maybe that phone call was her having an affair with one of the track coaches and uh, that phone calls hey I'm not leaving my wife or hey I'm, uh, I'm it's over you don't know what that phone call was we really don't but we know that she has a lot going on leading up until February the the ninth, we know that on the day she went missing, sometime between, you know, around 4 p.m., she tells all of her, her, her teachers that she's not coming back for a week. She's got a death in the family. We know that that's made up. That is not true. And uh, she starts on her journey to um, driving her Saturn and leaving the area. So I think deep down inside, it's obvious to say that, you know, she is un starting to unravel just a bit here. She really is. Now, whether you believe she's part of that hit or run, that's fine. Or whether someone has borrowed her car and has hit someone and that phone call was made to her. And now they're trying to cover it up because we will find in the wreck that both airbags were deployed and... We know that a you must have a severe front end collision for both airbags to deploy. So we know at 725, uh, the accident occurred on 2-9-2004. Uh, one of the neighbors, Westmans, they observed and then decided to call 911. We know at 727, Westmans, they called 911 and remain on the call. 
by making several observations about the accident scene and activity. And we know at 728, Cecil Smith is dispatched to the scene. We know at 7.30 p.m., Butch Atwood, the bus driver, came by the accident scene. He spoke to Mara. And then when he got home, but this is the time Mara said she was calling AAA, which she knew was not true because there was no cell phone service out there for her to call anyone. So Mara seemed pretty confident that she was going to be able to get a hold of somebody because at this point she doesn't try to get away with Butch. She says, I've called AAA. So when Butch gets home, he calls 911. Um, we know that Butch spoke to Mara, and I believe he is the only one to have actually spoken to Mara or seen her. Um, it looks like, according to the Westman statement to the New Hampshire, uh, to New Hampshire law enforcement, it looked like Butch Atwood had spoke tomorrow between one and two minutes. Uh, now we know back before the actual accident at 7:22, uh, Karen McNamara, she's leaving work, and it looks like it's about a 14-minute drive to the accident scene. So, as she's driving to the accident scene, she sees police officer SUV-001 pass her two times with the emergency lights running and then sees the same SUV-001 at the scene with no one around. Looks like she pulls up by Bruce Atwood's house and watches the accident scene and leaves after a couple of minutes and then makes a phone call from Beaver Pond at 7.52. So, she claims that she has seen SUV-001 three times. Pass her twice on the road with lights on and at the scene with no one around. Now, Cecil Smith confirms in his words that he's driving SUV-001 and he took the side road to come up by French Pond due to the poor road conditions, potholes, etc. Um, and that he was actually, he stated that when he arrived at the scene, he immediately got out of the SUV and checked the scene for injuries and then he spoke to the Westmans as Karen McNamara drove by and did not see anyone at the scene, just the SUV-001, because Smith was talking to the Westmans. Now, after speaking to the Westmans, Cecil Smith returns to the SUV and calls out at the scene at 7.46. Now, Cecil Smith probably arrived at the accident scene around 7.35, give or take a few minutes, probably about the time Atwood got home and into his house to call 911. Now that's pretty consistent with, with the statement that the Westmans made that Atwood only spoke to Tamara for one or two minutes. And only about five or six minutes went by after Atwood left that the police arrived. 
Now, it's important to note here that, that Grafton County, the log shows 743 for the time Atwood spoke with 911. Now, why would he call if Cecil was already on the scene? Because Atwood's call was routed after he made the initial call. The line was busy when he called 911, when he probably first got home around 7.33, give or take a minute. Now, they don't have the initial call time. Well, what they do have is when the county dispatcher then called Grafton County Dispatch and they called back. And that is at 7.43. So he did call before and when they called back, Smith was already at the, probably already there and probably talking to actually Atwood because Butch's wife answered the return call um, Butch was actually out in his bus. The New Hampshire State Police have advised that they have an eyewitness who saw Cecil at the accident scene in SUV 001. Now, this is probably the Westmans. Now, at some point, New Hampshire State Trooper John Monahan comes by the scene to provide assistance to Cecil Smith. Now, Monahan was only at the scene for five minutes, never got out of his vehicle. He then searched to the west, as he believed they would have been where someone had probably would have gone for assistance. Now, when you put all the info together, the timeline is very, very, very tight. The timeline was all put together by conducting interviews with Cecil Smith, John Monahan, Chuck West, Karen McNamara, Dick Guy and all the information from newspaper articles regarding Westman and Atwood about what happened. So what what does this tell us? What does this tell us? The tight timeline. There's not a large margin of time that Mara is able to flag someone down, spill her story, get a ride, and get out of there. So we know the the car was off the road, but was it a? You know, she told Butch she'd hit a tree. Butch Atwood, the bus driver that come by. But both airbags were deployed. There was wine all in the vehicle. There was stuff thrown about. The windshield was cracked. Was this little turnabout that she ran off the road strong enough of an accident to cause all this damage? I don't know. It says here, and going through another timeline, you know, 729 dispatch receives a call from Woodsville, New Hampshire, a resident who reports an accident near her home on Route 112. We know that's the Westmans. 743 dispatch receives a call from another Woodsville, New Hampshire area resident who reports a uh, Saturn partially in the road. We know that that is Butch Atwood, but that is a call he called earlier. That is them calling back. We know that 746, the first known police officer, uh, Haverhill Police arrives on the scene. Um, 
the the driver of the vehicle is nowhere to be found. the officer notes the car is facing westbound in the eastbound lane with a cracked windshield and two deployed airbags. A damaged box of wine is found in the passenger seat. Other items uh, were found in the car, a uh, AAA card, the insurance form she had received uh, or retrieved for her earlier accident with her dad's car, uh, gloves, music CDs, her makeup, directions for Burlington, Vermont, and uh, Stowe, Vermont, um, a Nicholas Howe book, Not Without Peril, a rag from Mara's emergency roadside kit was discovered stuffed into the Saturn's muffler pipe. Around 7.46, EMS arrives, 7.57, a fire truck arrives on the scene. Between 7.57 and 8.49 p.m., uh, you know, at some point, Mara's car, Mar- Mara's car is towed to a local auto repair garage um, and at 8.02 EMS clears the scene Um, and at 9.27 p.m. the first known police officer Cecil Smith to arrive on the scene is dispatched to another call and he's gone so was, was were those damages enough for what type of accident she had on that road or was this a staging? Was this the second accident? Was this a way to get rid of the vehicle? A way to report it stolen? Or a way to say, hey, you know, I ran off the road on, on Route 112. Here's my cracked windshield and my busted up car to do it. I'm not saying either way. I'm just asking. So we know that Butch Atwood talks to her for one to two minutes. We know that the, the, the timeline here is so tight. So where did Mara go? We know... That's okay. Let's walk through a little bit more what happened right after the wreck. Uh, Be on the lookout was put in about 1236 uh, for Mara Murray issued to Grafton, Littleton, Haverhill, and Lisbon. A voicemail is left on Mara's uh, father's, Fred Murray's home answer machine, stating that uh, his car, the Saturn Mara drove, was found abandoned near Woodsville, New Hampshire. Of course, Fred's at work out of state does not receive the call up until later in the day. Uh, between 5 and 5.30, we know that Mara's older sister contacts Fred and tells him that Mara's car has been found abandoned. 5.44, we know Fred Murray contacts the Haverhill, New Hampshire Police Department and begs them to start a search for Mara. The police department declines, citing that they do not start searches late in the day. The police department informs Fred that if Mara is not reported safe by the following morning, New Hampshire Fishing Game Service will start a search. Uh, around 6.46, Mara's family members contact the University of Massachusetts Police Department and request that her dorm be checked. Um, we know Wednesday, February the 11th, which time is unknown, we know that Mara's father, Fred Murray, arrives before dawn in Haverhill, New Hampshire, to beg the police to start a search for his daughter. Around 8 a.m., uh, New Hampshire Fish and Game Service, uh, the Murrays and others begin to search for Mara over 36 hours after her disappearance. We know sometime in, in that area, time is unknown, a, a canine in the uh, investigation, they track the scent from one of Mara's rarely used cook leather gloves 
The dog follows the scent 100 yards east from the location of where the vehicle in the direction of a residence house. It is not known if this was in fact Mara walking, being dragged, or a belonging of hers being dragged. It's implied that she or the item may have been picked up or placed in a vehicle at the end of the scent trail. It is also possible that the scent had vanished due to the incident happening nearly two days earlier. We know that that is going east. We know that the first state trooper on the scene after Cecil Smith goes west. So he's going in the total opposite direction of which where the scent actually ends up going. But what we've got here is we've got a crashed vehicle. We've got an abandoned vehicle. We've got a uh, neighbor at Westman's that call 911, see it happening. They see a little bit of commotion on the outside of the vehicle. We've got Bruce, the, the bus driver. He comes to Atwood. He comes through, talks to Mara one to two minutes. In that time, no, I'm okay. I'm calling AAA. He knows that's a lie. Goes to his house, calls 911. And by the time police arrive, Mara's gone. There's no footprints off into the, the, the weeds, the, 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 the trees. The, it, there's snow on the ground, so they're able to, to see kind of where, if someone was to go off of the road, they would be able to track it or see some kind of disturbance in the snow. There is none of that. We have a crashed vehicle uh, that is sp spun and turned around in the road. Are these damages to this vehicle enough for what had happened at this accident scene. Is this accident scene responsible for the amount of damage done to Mara's car? We know that a lot has been going on in her life up until this point. A lot has been going on. We know that her actions and the things that she's been doing are not normal to what, how Mara normally acts. So she could be breaking under the pressure. She could have something going on and she does. Because there's no doubt in my mind that that phone call that came from the campus, it was a campus community phone. When they traced it back, they, they traced it back to a location, but they traced it back to a location to where they couldn't guarantee that they couldn't tell who would actually be on the phone using it. So there's no doubt in my mind that whatever that phone call is, that phone call is the phone call that puts this into motion. Why is she going up here? Why the, the, the emails to the professors to say, hey, I'm not going to be back for a few days or a week. I got a death in the family. Why does she have a little bit of alcohol, $35, $40 of alcohol, plus another box or two of wine, whatever it is, Bailey's, that she has in the vehicle? She has two deployed airbags, which I'm going to tell you right now, takes a pretty hard lick to the front to deploy because I had a Chevy 1500 truck come through my windshield and just because it didn't hit the front of my vehicle my airbags did not deploy we've got a cracked windshield we've got Mara telling the witness that she's got AAA coming and she has to, to them they know that there's no phone service out there so she has nobody coming so why is she so confident that AAA's coming or somebody's coming why is she so confident to get rid of this man that might be her only way out of there so she either knows somebody's coming, or maybe she did take Butch Atwood up on an offer, or talk him into something. He was the last person to actually see her alive, see her, period. 
But, I mean, we could speculate. You, know, you could speculate that she's having an affair with the track coach. That phone call was something to do with him. Um, they're heading up toward the cabin that the uh, track team uh, owns, or the UMass owns, the track team uses. They're heading up there in tandem with him. Uh, this wreck just happens. He picks her up, takes her on, and, and finishes what he set out to do where he set out to do it. Or she's got so much going on. A friend barred her vehicle, hit this poor man on the, on the hit and run. Now she's got a car that's messed up, possibly implicating her in a crime. She's got to somehow make this go away, mixed in with the possible pregnancy from a track coach. This is all speculation. But, you know, I know that they talk about the pregnancy you know, terms that it was something she was doing for nursing school, and that's very well could be the truth. But what you do have to sit back and ask yourself is what the fuck was going on in her life that would cause this much chaos and this much turmoil that she goes as far as to set into motion what she set into motion. We'll be right back. Like I said, I, I, I don't mean any disrespect to anybody, family members or whatever. I'm merely just speculating some what-ifs. And I know there's more people that know, spot on, by God, this didn't happen, this didn't happen, this happened. But I tell you what, you, do, you don't know where she's at. And nobody knows where she's at so far. So, so what we know is she has had this accident. It's a lot of damage to this Saturn. There's a rag in the muffler. They're stating that, oh, the car smoked so bad that they should, that when it would smoke so bad, he would have her put a rag in the muffler, which I'm not buying that because, I mean, if the car smoked, then she's out in the middle of, of nowhere. What does it matter um, if the car's smoking a little bit at night? I, I just don't understand that. I know if it's stuffed up in her too far, the damn car's not going to run. So did she encounter someone at a stop? They put that in there, knowing that hey, if we just follow her a little bit, she's going to break down. We don't know. But here's what we do know. We know around 5 p.m., well, when we when we dropped off, we know that 100 or so yards up the road or eastbound, her scent drops off. So we know... If it's not a piece of her clothing or if this is not just bullshit because it's been two days, that they lose her scent right there in the middle of the road. So whatever has caused the scent, whether it be an article of clothing or Mara herself, she's in a vehicle, period. So we know at 5 p.m., we know Mara's boyfriend, uh, Bill Roush, and the parents arrive at Haverhill, New Hampshire Police Department. Uh, they were traveling from Oklahoma and Ohio. Uh, he's interrogated, and then his parents are questioned. Around 7, the police report to both Mara and boyfriend's families that they believe Mara came to the area uh, to either run away or commit suicide. Family does not believe this to be like, likely. Uh, 
Um, Mara's boyfriend receives a voicemail message that he believes is the sound of Mara sobbing. Uh, his cell phone had been turned off so he could pass through airport security. Uh, come to find out that phone call was traced back to a Red Cross. Which I'm not... I don't completely understand that. But... Um, you know, he was on his way to search for Mara when the phone call came through. Uh, which, like I said, they they traced the call to a calling card issued to the American Red Cross. So is that a calling card issued to somebody that needed help? Because it, it says here, a calling card issued to the American Red Cross. So maybe this is a calling card that was issued to the American Red Cross and this calling card was then handed out to a person so it may be uh, and they don't believe it was a call from Mara uh, and not the American Red Cross as it's unknown how the Red Cross would have had his mobile number and why they would leave a voicemail with no actual message uh, it's been deleted but I'm telling you it's a calling card issued to the American Red Cross so I guarantee the American Red Cross has calling cards issued to them for tragedies and they are handed out to people that are going through uh, tragedies themselves or going through snows or tornadoes or any kind of uh, terrible situation like that they're probably giving phone cards so they're able to make phone calls so that's something that's new to me um we know it's Thursday now, February the 12th. Uh, Mars' father, Fred, and her boyfriend hold an evening press conference in Bethlehem, New Hampshire. Uh, that Friday, the first known articles regarding Mars' disappearance are starting to publish. My Mars' family expands their search into Vermont. The Haverhill Police Chief says that uh, our concern is that she was upset or suicidal. Um, Monday the 16th, it's unknown, but Fred urges New Hampshire State Police Troop F to invite the FBI into the case. Uh, Fred's been told the only way the FBI can get involved is the case. Uh, if In the case, if they are invited by the agency currently overseeing the investigation, uh, Fred later learns that the only FBI involvement in the case was in the form of interviewing some of Mars' friends and family from Massachusetts. Uh, we know February 17th on Tuesday in the afternoon, the Haverhill Police Chief discloses that the search for Mars is now nationwide. Thursday the 19th, uh, we know that New Hampshire Fish and Game conducts a second ground and air search. Uh, we know also that the New Hampshire Fish and Game uh, conduct a grid search. Uh, we know that it's getting toward the end of February, I think the 26th. Uh, it's stated that while searching for Mar, uh, searching, Mar's older sister discovers a ripped pair of uh, Underwear lying in the snow on a secluded trail near French Pond Road. DNA test find. They do not belong to Mara. Uh, late February, the police actually give Mara's family the items found in the car. Uh, and then, you know, you got the beginning of March. Mara's sibling check out of their motel, exhausted from the search. Her father, Fred, continues to search. Uh, early March, uh, Fred checks out of his hotel room after weeks, three weeks of searching. He returns nearly every weekend for more searching. Um, 
In April, he's notified, Fred's notified by the Haverhill Police that complaints of trespassing on private property have been filed and warned Fred that any, you know, any more trespassing will result in his arrest. Uh, they get a tip, uh, New Hampshire Fishing Game conduct a ground search near where a young person was seen running in the night of Mara's disappearance. No scent or leads are reported from the search. Uh, of course, Fred goes to the governor. Um, you know, they've, they've had several things go on since then. They've searched a home. Uh, they've searched an old brown house, A-frame. Um, you know, Bill has gotten in trouble. Bill Rush got in trouble for sexual assault. It, I think it really is going to come down to what was going on in Mara's life right around the time of her disappearance. And I know that sounds cliche or stupid or whatever. I'd like to know more about that calling card. I, I thought it was a, was it a calling card that the Red Cross issues out to, to victims of, you know, natural disasters? Who was, I mean, because that, that's odd to me. That's odd to me. Um, that it was the calling card issued to the Red Cross because that opens up something new for me. That's not a phone call from the Red Cross. That's a phone call from a calling card that was issued to the Red Cross. I would love to get some answers to what happened to Mara Murray. This case haunts me. This case haunts me. I know that she was an amazing woman, amazing girl. She had tons of pressure on her. Did she snap under the pressure? Did she do some things that she couldn't come back from that she felt like she didn't have an out? You know, they talk about suicide, and Fred made that comment about a, he was worried about it being a squall walk where you just wander off into the woods to, to dive of, you know, of the elements or whatever. But, you know, he didn't. I wonder why he said it. He did say it. And, you know, he's talking about he didn't mean it this way or that way. But did he know? It's always been said, I think, that the family knows a little bit more about what's going on. And I'm saying not with her disappearance per se, but with what was maybe going on in her life at that time. And they're not going to say anything because they're going to protect her image at all costs. And I don't blame them for doing that. But something that was going on in her life around that time is what's caused her to go missing. We just need to find out what that is. You know, that phone call, did she lend her car out and it get hit because someone hit that person, the hit and run? And then they're trying to cover that up. And in the midst of covering that up, something happens. Maybe she had decided, you know, maybe she got, and she had met a few people that were a little on the shady side. You know, maybe some drug dealers, friends that met up at UMass. And they take the car to do something. And in the midst of doing something illegal, they hit this boy. And now they've got to cover that up. Mars got to cover it up. But now she, she knows something she shouldn't know. Did she have an affair with a track coach and then that phone call comes in he's not leaving his wife this or that you know now he's got the pressure of he could lose his tenure he could lose his job he could lose his family so let's go mar let's go let's go up to the cabin for a week just me and you and then she makes that story to her, her you know teachers and professors hey i'm going away for a week you know and then she slides out of control up there you know that's a legitimate wreck 
he picks her right up in tandem because he's just right behind her and he goes on to finish what he started. Or maybe she's going somewhere to renew her driver's license and she encounters by happenstance a crazy maniac serial killer or someone that wants to go party. She gets her out of there. Something gets out of control. They kill her. She accidentally kills her. <laughs> Who knows? I would love to know more about this possible calling card. That if it was an actual calling card issued to the Red Cross and they issued it to somebody else. I would love to know who was on that telephone call that night that caused Mar to go just losing her mind and go crazy and, and run run to her dorm. I'd love to know what was going on with, you know, a few days before she went missing. You know, there's some other people in that area because there was, I think, Bruce McKay, the police officer, he, had, he ended up having a real big situation with Lico Kenny or Kenny Lico. Anyway, he was a dirty cop. He ended up getting shot and killed, but he was actually in that area, and he wasn't he wasn't accounted for for many hours around Mara's disappearance. But he did have a buddy that lived down the road from where Mara went missing. That's another podcast, and I may cover that. That's a very interesting story. It's crazy. But what happened to Mara Murray? I'd love to know what happened to Mara Murray. God bless her family. You know, because they went through a lot. Maybe they know a little bit more what's been going on with Mara before she went missing. And maybe not. I don't know. It just really seems like this this case hit a, a dead end. And it basically st stayed there. But Missing Mara Murray, that podcast was amazing. There's some oxygen shows that were amazing. And um, I just hope that they find... What, find out what happened to Mara Murray. I'd love to know. God, I know her family would love to know, and I hope that we can find out for their sake. But no one knows what was going on with her in the last few days of her life. No one knows. She, she was spiraling out. And if anyone says that's not true, they're full of shit. I mean, she got kicked out of West Point for shoplifting, or, or left, and then she takes credit card numbers and steals credit card numbers? I mean, shut the fuck up. And then she totals her dad's car. Shut up. What happened to Mar Murray? I hope one day we'll find out. This is another episode of the Weekly True Crime Podcast.